I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Today, I'm talking with Kristen Frisky. I've known Kristen for many years, and she's made a major change in her life. She left the corporate world for the nonprofit world. Ignoring the need for change was not an option for Kristen. She embarked on a journey to find her place in the socially conscious nonprofit sector. And we're going to hear all about that on this podcast. But prior to her involvement in the nonprofit sector, Kristen held senior positions at the Quaker Oats Company, was president of a brand and marketing consulting group that worked with consumer packaged good companies, and co-owner of Windy City Publishing, which was the group that I used to publish my first book, Maximize Your Return on Life. And Kristen, you found a great company because they were wonderful, wonderful to work with. So thanks for uh, the introduction on my behalf. That's how I found Windy City Publishing. She's served on the school advisory committees and on the board of Lynx North Shore Youth Health Services. What I love about Kristen is she calls herself a social impact strategist, and we're going to learn how she came upon that name. As I mentioned, we're going to discuss her journey to the nonprofit sector, work she does, and how she maximizes her return on life. So now I'm going to turn it over to you, Kristen, if you can tell us a little bit about you and your career path. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction, Sherry. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and working with you through Windy City Publishing also. We really appreciate it, uh, having that opportunity. So I grew up in Chicago, very quick background, graduated from Wellesley College, and I actually started my career in accounting at Allstate Insurance, um, where I met my husband. I then transitioned to World Book Encyclopedias, which really introduced me to publishing. So it was sort of interesting. That's really sort of where I started my career. And then I did all these other things after business school and came full circle back to you know publishing, being one of the co-founders of Windy City Publishing. So after I went to Kellogg, I transitioned into the world of brand management and new product development. And I worked on brands ranging from Kibbles and Bits dog food to Kraft macaroni and cheese. Did you eat a lot of Kraft macaroni and cheese? <laughs> you know what? I ate so much at the time. Because <laughs> you had a taste test it probably, right? You did. You did. And I think one of my favorite products that I worked on when I was there was when I worked for Snapple. We owned Snapple beverage drink and we were working on some coffee drinks and I would have to go and taste all these different coffee. So we would go around the country and to determine, you know, which type of beans we'd want to use and from different importers and stuff. And I learned that if you drink so much caffeine, 
you literally, it is like getting high. It is the weirdest <laughs> thing. I mean, because I'm not talking like a couple of cups of coffee. I'm talking just nonstop all day. So it was funny. And I also learned that the remedy for feeling really sick afterwards um, and feeling that way was fried chicken. So Ooh, coffee, mac, cheese and fried chicken. <laughs> Diet of champions. Okay. I don't think that's in your repertoire today, probably. <laughs> no, it's really not. No, not at all. But so I just got married, started my career, and am the parent of two adult children and really feel like right now I have probably the best life in the world. <laughs> so, And you moved out of Chicago too, right? Yes, I did. Two years ago, we decided during the pandemic, you know, it's getting towards the tail end, but it was still going on and raging that we always loved the mountains. I did. I grew up skiing and hiking and being outdoors and camping, you know, going to overnight camp and stuff like that. So I always just really loved being outside. And I love Colorado. And my husband was like, you know, why don't we do it? Suddenly the world changed. We could work virtually. Everything was still being done by Zoom. So we took the plunge and sold our house and we'll met and moved out. And it's been different. I call us city slickers. If you remember that movie, mm -hmm. we are very much city slickers. You know, when things go wrong, like, you know, septic tank, like, oh my God, what's a septic tank? We, you know, like we have well water. What, what's that? And, you know, all these things that you don't really think about, you know, you look up and you see a bear walking across your yard or there's lots of beautiful wildlife and all. And, you know, I'll have, like one day I had like 50 elk just lounging oh my in, my, gosh. in the back of my house. So it's, it's different though. I mean, it's definitely, um, it's mountain living. And so we're just two, almost two years in. And I talk a lot about that on my podcast is a big part of life is being true to your values and figuring out what's important to you. And I think COVID changed a lot. I think people really reevaluated their values. And it sounds like, that's kind of part of the decision. It's a value you've always had. And, you know, COVID was a horrible, horrible experience, but, you know, it made us reflect and made us think about what's truly important. You know, actually COVID for my family, as horrible as it was, um, there were a lot of gifts that came out of it. You know, for mm -hmm. example, my um, son was living in Boston and at the time his fiance was in med school in uh, Philadelphia and COVID enabled them to then be together because mm -hmm. he could work virtually. So he could move to Philadelphia. Same thing with my daughter and her partner. They had been living in different States and COVID suddenly brought them together because you could work virtually. And then my family, all everybody kind of came back home and to have that time with your adult children is very rare. And especially to live with their partners or spouses, it's very, you know, that's really unheard of for the most right. part. So it really gave us a chance to get to know our daughters-in-laws and be able to really spend time as a family. And then for us to move out to Colorado and everybody was really on board with it and loved it. So like I said, we really did find some silver linings in COVID. Yeah. And in life, you, you do have to find those silver linings. I'm a big Big advocate of that. So you were in the corporate world and can you, you know, I have a lot of listeners that do want to start businesses and want to be an entrepreneur. So how did you start Windy City Publishing? Well, my partners, one of them had written a book 
And she had gone through the publishing process and she thought that it was really, you know, a pretty horrific experience. (laughs) And she really wanted to make an improvement in the publishing process. And this was sort of the advent of uh, um, self-publishing when that started. So she was the one who really was the ideal generator of the company, okay? And she knew my background was in marketing and in new business development. And I had worked for large corporations and, you know, extending their brands, starting new businesses for them. And so she said, well, why don't you just, you know, come and join me and we can do this together. And and that's when it was felt like, oh my God, I'm going back full circle because I used to work at World Book Encyclopedia. So it's like, oh my gosh, um, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And I said, I'll jump on the bandwagon. And, and it was really at first, it, you know, we didn't think that it was, you know, we, we knew we could create a viable business opportunity, but, you know, it was really not a lot of like formal planning in the beginning. We said, let's just do this. And then we sort of did the planning afterwards, after we kind of came up with the idea. And it, you know, it really is a digital organization that we try to use the latest technology in terms of managing the publishing process. And we felt it was really important to have our authors involved in every single step of the process. And that's not how traditional publishing really works. And we really wanted to support independent authors in a way that gave them all the services of the traditional publishing house, you know, like the editing, the marketing and all of that, but it would be author funded like a self-publisher. But the benefit to that is authors could retain, you know, higher royalties. They retain the rights to their work. I should say they receive higher royalties and they really are in control of the process. So that's what we sort of call it. We call ourselves a hybrid publishing house because we try to take the best of both worlds. So one thing led to another and, you know, we started getting clients and the next thing we knew, you know, we had a viable business. And as I said, you know, we had planned, you know, we planned it all out, but it wasn't until sort of, you know, usually with the new business, you do all the research first and then you decide whether or not is this going to be a go or not we kind of did it the other way. We said, let's just do this. And then we did the planning and luckily it worked out. And so it was a go. So, um, and so we really do. And I, you know, as you opened, you said you had a really positive experience. And for us, that's our juice, right? We want our clients to have a positive experience. And it's all about the relationships and being accessible and, you know, really kind of holding your hand through the process. So And, you know, I always wanted to write a book for years and years and was always intimidated. And because I knew Kristen, I reached out to Windy City Publishing and they made it so easy. So we're going to do a complete another podcast on all those people itching to write a book out there. And we'll talk about the process. I just wanted Kristen to talk about And another theme you're going to see, because I do have a lot of listeners that, you know, the skills that you have in the corporate world translate to being an entrepreneur, translate to the nonprofit world. And we're going to hear about that with Kristen. But I just want to add one thing. Uh, When Dave and I started our business, we were in the investment business. And when you left, you know, you couldn't be registered. We couldn't start the business. We wanted to leave on really good terms. So we basically started our business at a Panera. And 18 years later, you know, we're 850 million, 13 employees. But there's no rules on starting a business. The only rule is you have to get started. And then once you get started, it goes from there. So I want to shift now to 
How did you make the decision to kind of leave this corporate world and go in the nonprofit world? Okay. So about 10 years ago, I had a wake-up call. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer. And when I recovered and was in remission and all, I decided, you know, to really reevaluate my values and what was important to me and how did I want to spend the rest of my life? Um, You know, this gift that I've been given because I recognize that not everybody is as fortunate as I am um, in terms of, you know, when they are diagnosed with a serious illness. So I decided to uh, pivot and really create a new professional life that would give me meaning and have a greater impact on society. So that was the turning point for me being sick, which is not uncommon when people have a wake up call that they decide to shift gears. And um, while you know, at the time when that happened, I thought, you know, that is the time I decided to be really strategic and do all this research and thinking maybe I'll start a nonprofit or whatever. And, you know, recognizing that I don't need to start a nonprofit. There's some wonderful nonprofits doing work out there. And how can I really lend my skill set to them? Because I wanted, I didn't want to do necessarily direct service where you might be volunteering at a soup kitchen or tutoring students, which I've done in the past, all of those. I wanted to really use my more strategic and business skill set. And so that's how I ended up landing on being a social impact strategist is what I call myself. And I love it. I love that term. <laughs> Thank you. Well, social impact strategy is really just a process to uh, create positive social change through an organization's work. Okay. And social impact strategist, the way I define it is, is I'm an advisor to advance societal change in order to improve the lives of people and their communities. Okay. And so that's where I have focused my energies the last, I would say, I had the wake up call 10 years ago, but I've probably been doing this about seven years once I, once I was, you know, over the hump and all. How did you decide which organizations you wanted to be involved in? Interesting enough, they found me. I had kind of thought about things that were really important to me. For example, I went to Wellesley College. Women's rights were always really important to me, okay? I was really, you know, and continue to be really concerned about like the violence in Chicago and, um, you know, what's happening to our city. Even though I live in Colorado, I am still very much a Chicagoan and I very much identify. I still back and forth all the time. Okay. Cubs fan? Yes, Cubs fan. Big Cubs say- fan, me too. <laughs> I was convert to the Cubs. I grew up as a White Sox fan. Okay. Okay. And my family were deep White Sox fans, but my husband was a Cubs fan. And so you, you know, you switch gears after being yeah. married for so long, 30 something years. And so, yeah. but so I, you know, I really sort of identified areas and silos that were important to me. And then I was like, okay, so I have all these different areas. I identified five, I named a couple, I won't go through all of it. And um, another thing that was really important for me was education. My father which was an educator. You know, I worked in World Book Encyclopedias. I've always sort of had this, you know, leaning towards education. So that was another silo for me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So one day I was co-hosting a party. We have a, a place in Lincoln Park, and a condo building. And my husband 
was um, it was ended up being a really nice day in the spring in May. And, you know, May, you never know if the weather's going to be good or bad in Chicago. Right? right. So we were inside and he was like, well, I want to be outside. And so he went outside because he didn't want to be inside for this big party we were host, uh, co-hosting. And he saw this group of people sitting out and the party was for our building. And he um, saw a group of people sitting there talking. So he said, hey, can I join you? Just thinking they lived in the building. Well, it turned out it was a debrief of a day-long meeting of a group of people that had come back to the building. Someone had you know, lived there and they were debriefing from a conference they had or meeting. And they were talking all about teachers and students and learning to, you know, helping students to stand up to bigotry and hatred and, you know, how these teachers have come into the classrooms and to really um, deepen students' understanding of history in order to make changes. And he's like listening to all this and he's like, who are you guys? (laughs) And he says, you have to meet my wife. So he runs and gets me and he introduces me. And it turns out they were the senior leaders of facing history in ourselves. And one of the board members lived in my building and she, that's why they were there. So they were having a work session and he didn't realize when he sat down, he thought they were part of this party. And he said, you have to meet my wife. And so I ran, you know, he came and got me and I, you know, met them and they were like, well, we'd love to talk to you further. And fast forward, you know, it's been seven, I think six or seven years. I'm now on their national board, um, facing history in ourselves as an educational nonprofit that challenges teachers and students to stand up to racism, bigotry, and hatred. Oh my God. It like, it, it checked all your boxes. It checked all my boxes <laughs> and I had never even heard of them, which is one of the things that I do a lot of work now with them as a social impact strategist, not only am I on their board, but I'm also, you know, really helping them think about how do we in, expand our reach and their awareness because, I mean, it's a pretty large organization. It's international. And, but so many people have never heard of them and the work that they do is so important. And we go into classrooms and we talk about democracy, which we know is under threat today in our country. You know, we're, the demand that we have right now is so high and teachers turned us so much for support, especially in light of banning books and everything that's going on, you know, in our education system right now, and what teachers are just under attack by local politics. And so, you know, we are very much an organization that meets the teachers' needs and helping them, you know, introduce historical topics that aren't really addressed in the classroom and then helping the kids make the connection to what is happening in today's world and how can they take agency and become involved civically? How can they become become involved in their communities to bring about positive change? So it was like a perfect fit. And that was a very long story, but Facing History found me. And other organizations I have worked with have found me. And yes, there are lots of nonprofits that reach out to me, but if they don't resonate in my heart and are in alignment with my values and where I really want to spend my time, talent and treasure, then I don't, you know, get involved. So I just have a, a few core agencies that I work with right now and they keep me really busy. <laughs> so. And you you guys can't see her face because I'm looking at Kristen while she talks, but she is so passionate and so excited about the work that she's doing. 
And it it really, you know, comes down to the values because as Kristen says, we all get asked a lot to be on a lot of nonprofit boards, especially if you're talented like Kristen. So how how do you say no? Because I think a lot of our listeners have a problem saying no, because every organization sounds so good and does such great work. So you have your own decision process on this. I do. I do. I have boundaries in that I know where my wheelhouse is and the type of organization. And you're right. There's so many wonderful organizations. So for me personally, when people reach out, you know, for example, I am a very strong supporter of ALS and the Les Turner organization um, for Lou Gehrig's disease because it has touched my family. Okay. Now I could say, yes, I would love to devote my time and energy to them, but that's not where I want to put my energy in terms of making societal changes and having an impact. Do I think they're an important organization? Absolutely. Do I want to find a cure for ALS? Absolutely. So what I do is say, am I going to give my time and my talent or my treasure? So in that situation, because they're in alignment with them as as well as, um, Multiple Sclerosis Society, another organization that is very um, close to my heart. I'm not going to give my time and talent to them, but I will make donations to them because it is in it is very important to me of finding cures for those two specific illnesses. Not that others are unimportant or anything, but they have resonated in my life. So part of my decision-making process is how has that organization touched my life in some way or someone I care about or love in my family or group of friends. And so while I might not give my time to them and my talent, I might give some of my treasure, okay? Treasure being the financial treasure and making donations. And so if they're not in the wheelhouse of really making a societal change and really having impact of strengthening communities, then I'm not going to give my time and talent. If they're trying to strengthen communities, and I really believe in, I don't know if you're familiar with trust-based philanthropy. So trust-based philanthropy is basically a new form of philanthropy that has been created to address inequities in funding for nonprofits, okay? So there's this whole power imbalance between grant makers and nonprofits, just like there's systemic, you know, challenges with systemic racism and things in a lot of organizations and, you know, in communities and stuff. It's also happened in the nonprofit community. And so trust-based philanthropy is about redistributing uh, power to create a healthier, more equitable nonprofit sector. So it basically what it is, is it includes a multi-year unrestricted funding uh, grant process and streamline applications. And these are organizations that are generally community-based nonprofits. And some of them might, might not even have a 5013C. They might be sponsored by someone else. But in essence, they you know are doing really great work, but they're small, really small. So they're not even on a foundation's radar. They're not going to give them money. And foundations tend to give the same organizations time and time again, over and over. So trust-based philanthropy is saying, no, we're going to give these smaller nonprofits that are based in communities that are really doing great work in their communities, working, you know, with their elderly, with their kids, you know, trying to 
help with feed, you know, feeding uh, the community, all these little small nonprofits. And we're saying that we're going to give you a grant that's unrestricted and we're not going to come to you and say, hey, did you do that? You're, we're going to trust you that you're going to use the money how is best needed in order to grow and help your community better. So for me, like that is really important trust-based philanthropy. So for example, I recently was part of a team that we did a grant here in Denver to two organizations. And part of it was you learn from them. And we had to choose, we had three finalists and one finalist dropped out because they didn't want it. These are all in the same community. They didn't want to compete against the other two nonprofits. And so the and other two nonprofits said, we don't want to compete each, against each other. Most foundations would be like, well, no, you have to. We're going to pick a winner. What we said, they said, well, can we not split the pot? And we were like, wow, we didn't think about that. Or you're going to get less. But they were like, we'd rather get less and both, but both of us get more by winning, you know, this thing. And so it took us to say, okay, if that's what you want, then that's what we're going to do. Traditional philanthropy, no, they're going to say, no, you have to compete and win. And so this community in um, Southwest Denver, that's very under-resourced community, you know, they're teaching us that to them, it's more important for them to have a little bit less, but that they can both win than to, you know, pit them against each other. And so that's sort of that just gives you sort of an example of what it's like. So for me to see those communities and that they're really trying to raise and lift their community, I then became not, you know, I wasn't involved, I'm involved with them in selecting and, you know, determining who we were going to pick as finalists for this, you know, grant. But then I also decided to give my time and talent to them. So now I am a liaison for them with this collective giving organization to help them, you know, if they need help with, you know, marketing or database management and connecting them with different resources. I'm also donating to them financially, you know, not just through the collective giving, but doing it on my own, you know, separate donation. Once again, it falls within the wheelhouse of really helping communities, you know, grow and thrive and having, you know, making sure that you see this impact of changing lives. So um, that's sort of my, you know, I, I'm giving you these examples, but that's my criteria of how, what is the connection to me? And, you know, when I get, you know, maybe somebody asks me, oh, will you make a donation? And I'll admit, I am like, if someone's child calls me or a friend calls me and says, hey, can you help support, you know, this organization? I will say, I, I can't give you the time, you know, or talent, but I can maybe make a small donation and I'll do that. So I have allocated a pot of money that I give out each year to sort of organizations that I'm not that connected with, but that a friend might be connected with that is important to them. You know, really dear friend of mine, her son has um, diabetes. So every year, you know, she's soliciting for, you know, donations to help raise money for, you know, the organization that she's involved with. And so I make a donation to it. So I think it's really important to determine how you want to be connected in the nonprofit and think about your time, your talent, and your treasure. And then, of course, to the organizations that I'm closely aligned with, I give a much larger amount to, but I do set aside um, money to say, 
I'm going to allocate so that when a friend reaches out, I have, you know, some resources to help them, you know, to support the causes that they believe in, because I want them to support my causes too. You know? Right. And so, and I trust my friends so much and they don't get involved with things that are, you know, not meaningful. <laughs> so I, I want to make the world a better place. However, you know, however I can make a little difference, that's what's important to me. I love that because I actually had a chapter in my book that said my time budget was overdrawn and a big part of my time budget was I was on four boards and I'm not one of those people that could be on a board and just show up. And I came to the realization that I needed to come up with my own criteria and I made a rule to myself, no more than two boards at any time. But I love time, talent and treasure because there is sometimes you can give a little bit of your talent to an organization that will go a long way, but you don't have to mm-hmm. give all your time. There's times you need to give time, time, time and treasure. So I uh, I think I see a blog coming up on this time, talent, and treasure, and I'll give you the credit, Kristen. But I, I think, you know, we're all busy people and my listeners certainly are busy and all are passionate about causes. So just, you know, have your own framework and your own decision process, because you want to enjoy your work on these nonprofits. You don't want it to feel like an obligation. So I love the passion. I love how you decide. And I think that's a a great lesson. And I know the work that you offer to these nonprofits is invaluable because they're, you know, there's not always people with your skill set on the boards. So I want to shift now, Kristen, to what sounds like you're maximizing your return on life through your nonprofits and the mountains and hiking, but anything else you can add how you're maximizing your return on life? I'm really into like my body and health. And, you know, I think we talked about this the other day that like your health is really your wealth. And I firmly believe that every day, every morning I wake up, I'm a morning person and I work out. And it's either doing yoga, have, you know, my Peloton bike, lifting weights, you know, whatever it is, I dedicate, I would say, probably about an hour and a half every morning. And that also includes meditation and to really sort of setting my day. And I find that for me, that really helps set my day, frames me, and it gives me an opportunity to sort of reset and reset, especially if I'm stressed and I'm having some anxiety or, you know, I'm struggling with something or trying to solve a business problem. I find that if I have that time to myself every day, it just really makes my day go a lot smoother. Okay. And it's really, and it is that time to myself. And so one of the funny things for me right now is that um, we have this beautiful home in the mountains and I overlook the a mountain range of, you know, the Rocky Mountains. And it's just spectacular to be able to wake up to that gift every morning and see it. And but we have a lot of visitors, right? So I was really worried about when we moved to the mountains, I was like, I'm going to be so isolated. I'm not going to know anybody. So that's why I jumped right away into the philanthropy. Uh, philanthropic community in Denver is a way to meet people also, you know, and, uh, and I wanted to meet people who had similar values that were aligned with mine. So that's why I got involved in the philanthropic community in Denver, which has been awesome. And I was also worried that, oh, my God, I'm never going to see anybody. I tell you, friends and family are always here, always. And so some days, my house is so full, 
I'm like, oh God, I can't even get down to my workout room. I don't want to wake anybody up on the same level, you know, like sleeping. And then I feel like my day is just rush and rush, rush. I have to be grounded. And that grounding enables me to maximize my life and my values. And I'll also, um, you know, work all day. And, you know, in the afternoon, I'm like, I'm going to go take a walk. And I have that privilege and ability to do that, you know, and so I go out and take a little hike or a little walk in the, you know, down the mountain or something. So that's really important to me. I also, I would say, maximize my life and, you know, my values is with travel. I'm on the road a lot. Pre-pandemic, I traveled all over the world. And I think I've now, since the pandemic, we did, I did my first international trip a few months ago. And I was really nervous because after three years of, you know, being home, you get comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's really important to get out and see the world if you can. And, you know, to understand different cultures, meet people and, you know, so kind of dipped my toe back into it this this spring, and it was great and really appreciated it. So I am just, you know, I think these are the magical years, okay? I think this is the time in life to really take, you know, view it as our second wind, and you're in a position to have that privilege to be able to make choices that are really, that really resonate with you and that are meaningful for you, then I say, go for it because there's enough sickness and illness, you know, things that are difficult. This doesn't mean like it's, you know, you're home free. There's going to be obstacles that are going to come, but I think the more you stay grounded that you can then deal with them more effectively and um, deal with the challenges. And my motto is try to stay calm in the midst of chaos and, You know, it might be taking some deep breaths. It might be going for a walk. It might be, you know, stopping in the middle of the day and say, you know what, I just need to do a little yoga to get myself grounded and back in place. Whatever it is, I just try to keep an open heart, open mind, practice loving kindness and do my thing. Thanks, Kristen. And I think you, you heard probably about 20 or 30 times during this podcast it comes down to the values and you need to be true to your own values, not society's values, not your friend's values. You know, obviously you and Doug, that's her husband, you know, you share your values. You seem, you know, to be on the same page on a lot of things. And I think that that's so important. And I worked with a couple once who said they spent more time picking out the color of their next car than ever talking about their values. So on the link to the podcast, Maximize Your Return on Life, there will be a link to a little values exercise I have. So if you haven't figured out your values as your guide in life, like Kristen has, please do. But I have learned so much today, Kristen. I've got time, talent, and treasures, which I'm going to take home. Trust-based philanthropy. Your health is your wealth. I think these are all blogs. I'm going to, and then the last (laughs) one you said, calm during times of chaos. So I hope everyone will take some of those to heart. And I, I also want to mention, I know travel is often one of the big things people talk about on the podcast when they maximize the return on life, but it doesn't have to be that grand, you know, getting up early and doing a yoga or taking a walk or lifting some hand weights. Those are all ways to maximize your return on life. And I work with a lot of people to articulate their values and health is always one of the top values, but I find people don't spend 
their time, talent, or treasure on it. So they spend money on other things. And when you mention, oh, a personal trainer or a Peloton, oh, that's so expensive. I can't afford that. But they're affording on other things. So, you know, if health is one of your values, and that's something you can't buy, as we all know, that is something that you need to work on. I, I hope you'll all do that. And Kristen will be your inspiration. So Kristen, I uh, usually get up early for Pilates. I, I hit the snooze this morning. I'm not going to do it tomorrow because, you <laughs> you know, I find if I don't work out in the morning, it you know, I always have great plans at four o'clock, but four o'clock comes by and I'm involved with something. So I just wanted to thank you. This was so great to really dig a little deeper into your work. And I, it seems like you've got things figured out. And I think you're going to really be a good mentor to a lot of our listeners, especially a lot, like you said, you know, if you've done the planning, you've lived within your means and you're fortunate enough to do this next chapter, it's it's figuring out what it is. And, and I'll say it probably again and again, it comes down to your values. But if you'd like to learn how to maximize your return on life, financially with your time and money, please visit our website at rrcapital.com. And we are happy to help you maximize your return on life. But thank you, Kristen. This has been great. And we will put information about Kristen on the website. And thanks again. Thank you very much.